0: Hi Ashutosh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and
1: um, uh, thank you for the invitation. Pleasure. Uh, Steven is the chairman of Reds Capital. He's the founder of AI for Good. He's been a chairman, founder, has had board roles in business and startups, successful entrepreneurship, investments, venture capital. He's an investor. He was uh, the most valuable person in AI. He's a futurist and he's an author. He's been recognized and awarded globally for over 300 recognitions for disruptive innovation, futuristic investment, successful entrepreneurship and global technology leadership and most importantly, he chairs the YPO EIS of which I'm a part of. So Stephen, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career?
0: You know, say, that's a, it's a great question because
1: I've had a lot of uh,
0: sort of events and inflection mm-hmm. points in my life but you know, when I think about it, probably, uh, you know, when I was really young, um, let's say about three years old, I was discovering the world through the many encyclopedias my family possessed. Mm-hmm. And they, they had about five different kinds of encyclopedias. And, mm-hmm. and that led me to exploring science so again when I was about five. And I built that computer when I was 10. Wow. And that led me to doing continuing innovation. Okay. <laughs> so that would be sort of my early inflection point. Okay. My next one was when I decided to go into teaching. So I had some early success
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I thought, you know what? I want to get back. So I'm going to spend my time teaching. So I taught for, uh, from my twenties and into, uh, when I was 50. Mm-hmm. And that's probably some sort of a, a really, uh, passionate, uh, enjoyable point in my life of just guiding people, uh, helping them, supporting them attain their vision, their,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, their goals and their dreams. But you know, my family sort of said, "Steve, you know, maybe you should go back to some of your early roots in innovation." Okay. And even though when I was teaching, I was still speaking and and doing some innovation. After five years, I said, "Okay, well," and so I decided to teach teaching to focus on global good. So those okay. are the
1: kind of the three buckets of wow. my life. Wow, that's amazing. So let's talk about Red's Capital. Tell me about what you do uh, at Red's Capital.
0: You know, it, it's kind of It's sort of the role I have. You really do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So because I'm engaged in so many global communities, I'm always curating deal flow and looking at those that are really sort of globally transformational. So that's a lot of my time. I also Mm -hmm. look at the future. I'm always thinking about the future, about innovation and, Mm -hmm. and investments. And then the third sort of bucket is thinking about our portfolios mm-hmm. and how I can help them solve grand problems through our networks. Okay. So I would say that's how I divide my time with Reds Capital.
1: Okay. And is Reds Capital one, is one of the, one of the components of Red Capital a very large fund also?
0: You know, we, we, uh, deploy a capital in different ways. So, mm-hmm. um, we have the ability to co-invest. Um, and my partners are amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if the audience ever gets a chance to look at my partners, uh, mm-hmm. they're just uh, uh, in themselves leaders in their own right uh, mm-hmm. within the different regions that they existed, and so on. Okay. And then, of course, we have the ability to invest from our fund, but mm-hmm. uh, where our investment thesis is very early, so mm-hmm. uh, we're really trying to look at maybe ones that uh, we can catch early help help to guide them um, and. We always look for things that are transformational okay. um, that we think will have some kind of major global impact and that's kind of our, our investment thesis. So it, it works well for us and, and uh, we enjoy uh, doing this. Uh, Fantastic.
1: Work. Fantastic and when you get in with an investment, are you long-term investment investors or do you, uh, you know, wait for the market to turn and exit?
0: You know we're we're not what the, you would call a financial um, mm-hmm. investor. Mm-hmm. so we're 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 definitely uh, more of a a long-term strategic investor, mm-hmm. uh, and that is we try to engage as as much as we can to help mm-hmm. uh, support our startups and we look for the longer term rather than
1: the short term gain. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about startups. You know you do invest in startups as well. And a very large number of people who will listen to us uh, and listen to all your words of advice and wisdom uh, are startup entrepreneurs. My first question to you is that based on all the experience that you have, what are some of the basic mistakes a lot of startup entrepreneurs tend to make? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good
0: question and and so let me step back a, a moment and I recommend that uh, people who are sort of entrepreneurial, maybe very young and thinking, Hey, mm-hmm. I want to do a startup. Mm -hmm. you should get some guidance like uh, I recommend Steve Blank and Mm -hmm. and all of the material that he's written the books that he's written Mm -hmm. this material is a little bit old now but there used to be a group called Startup Genome they still exist in different ways and and uh, they produce some reports that were available free uh, freely and Mm -hmm. they talk about what what makes for a startup what kind of attributes startup people should have Mm -hmm. uh, what sort of uh, signs should you look up to see if if you could do a startup and then, you know, I, I recommend you look at things like CB Insights, mm-hmm. um, they uh, provide a lot of free information. And of course, you can also register mm-hmm. for CB Insights and uh, mm-hmm. PitchBook is another one. Mm-hmm. And then also join investment uh, communities or, or organizations so that mm-hmm. so that you can network. So now, what are, what are the things that uh, create problems for people who uh, do a startup? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say when they don't follow some kind of process. So uh, in other words, uh, they should have some sort of plan mm-hmm. and and a plan uh, they can use is like Alexander um, Osterwalder's um, business model canvas, mm-hmm. which gets you to kind of bucket things like what are your key priorities? Who do you think your partners are going to be? Mm-hmm. you know, um, What are the major sort of markets that are channels that you can have and so on? That's mm-hmm. kind of very early. You should have some kind of structure, What you're trying to do, and then of course, you need to then think hey, is there a real problem out there, and do I have a solution? And then you should validate it. So just mm. don't guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So a lot, lot of entrepreneurs think, hey, I'm, I got a solution. And it happens to be a non-existent problem, except for maybe a small little niche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's just no way they're going to scale. So right. you definitely have to make sure it's a problem that's recognized. And you have a solution that's recognized, even if mm-hmm. you haven't developed it. Mm-hmm. And you have to test the idea. With with uh, different communities to make sure that it's real. Okay. And sometimes when you test an idea, you just can't go to family and say, "Hey, I got this great idea," because family often will say, "Yeah, that's a great idea," because mm-hmm. they don't want to hurt your feelings, right? So, interesting. Anyway. So, so you, you really want to get uh, a lot of validation. So and and you know go through that competitive analysis. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people uh, when they're entrepreneurs, they don't really think about, "Well, gee." Mm-hmm you know, have I done some desk research? Is there mm-hmm. other people out there that are doing what I'm trying to do? Correct. And, and so if you got a crowded marketplace, <laughs> unless you can do it better in some way, mm. then, you know, it's a non-starter. So, you know, those are some of the early things. And then mm. of course, uh, what do you want to do then is, is you want to make sure that you know you you've got some validation. There's a real problem. You got mm-hmm. some validation that you got a real solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done some competitive analysis. You've done some planning and what's you know how you're going to structure this thing. Uh, uh, what as some people do too is they'll even start trying to raise money without an MVP. That's called mm-hmm. a minimal viable product. Mm-hmm. So you know build something really light and again see if it validates. And validates by I mean you got a problem. You got a solution. You, bu- you built something uh, and then test it. I mean, mm-hmm. is there a product market fit? Um, again, a lot of entrepreneurs don't go this process, mm-hmm. uh, actually seeing if there's a real product, and uh, they have a real product, they have a real uh, market, and there's validation or proof. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, one of the best ways to prove it is, well, people pay a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, really? for, even for your MVP or really? to get the next iteration of your MVP. It, right. it, it means a lot more than people just giving you kind of surface uh, mm. yes or no and then of course uh, you then go through revenue model validation make sure you got paying customers and mm. things like that where potentially revenues will exceed your costs mm. then you can go to a, a more um, high fidelity uh, minimum viable product mm. or a proof point. Mm. Uh, you look for value, uh, delivery validation, mm-hmm. like real proof. They're delivering real value. You can make a profit mm-hmm. and then seeing real uh, smart business metrics. So those are some of the steps that you should think about, uh, before you do a startup. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, why do, why do startups fail? Why do entrepreneurs, uh, um, well, there's no market need, they run mm. out of cash, there's, they're not the right team, mm. they get out competed, uh, mm. price cost issues, poor product Lack like of business model, mm. poor marketing, mm. ignoring the customers, product is timed, they lose focus, there's disharmony, a uh, uh, pivot is mean you change direction, it's mm. gone bad, you don't really have the proper passion, uh, the grit required to do this, it's just mm. kind of like an idea, uh, bad location, no investor engine burnout, etc. So there's a lot of things to think about. So, you know, I gave you like a floodgate of information. So what can you do? Go to CB Insights and they actually have done a study of hundreds Mm -hmm. of startups that have failed. And then they categorized why they've done it. So do some homework. And then before you do a startup, think, "Ah," you know, to consider these things of why other startups fail. And then think of these sort of processes and steps Mm. um, before you do a startup and, Often I get approached by people and say, hey, I've got this great idea. Will you fund me? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, okay, let, let's step back a moment here. That's just an idea. Do you realize if you work it out, there's probably 6 trillion ideas being generated every day. Wow. <laughs> and well, there's a amazing. lot of difference, a big gap between an idea and actually executing and making just something Correct. real. Right?
1: Correct. Well said. And therefore a follow-up question, since you are the person who sits with the checkbook. And I've often been asked this question Should I bootstrap my startup as long as I can, or should I pick up as much money that is available to me? What are your thoughts?
0: You know, that's, that's a great question. And it gets into this idea of premature scaling. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I talked about this group called Startup Genino many, many years mm-hmm. ago. They put out some reports, and there's one called Premature scaling and Steve, uh, Steve Blank talks about in his work. Mm-hmm. Premature scaling is me- meaning, uh, you're going too fast without going through those subtle, uh, um, nine levels that mm-hmm. I talked about earlier, you know, like, uh, business model canvas, problem mm-hmm. solution, uh, is there competitive analysis and MVP? Uh, are you doing product market fit? You know, is there revenue validation, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- the key is, is that you know, you you got to uh, g- uh, go through all of these steps and so on, and and to write a check. Um, if if you if you uh, seek money too fast, then mm. you may do things like premature scale. You hire too many people mm. before you're ready, so you're really burning. You're wasting the money. Mm. Uh, you're trying to uh, go to a a high fidelity MVP before you even done a, mm. a product market fit, before you even done some revenue validation, uh, even pro- even before a problem solution of uh, validation and so on. So uh, if you get money too early you got to be really really careful Correct. and because you can get sloppy and you can mm. prematurely scale. Mm. Hire too many people, uh, give yourselves all, all a big title and, and uh, uh, pay yourself too much uh uh, to just do it off your uh, side of your desk on the weekends so you're not fully committed you really don't have any skin Mm -hmm. in the game I really recommend that you should show that you're passionate you really are involved you've done your homework you looked at all of the sort of essential components uh for a startup so no I I think you should try to bootstrap as long as you can and then only take an investment uh, when you really, really do need it, but that's you could start planning for it mm-hmm. and maybe doing some initial sort of
1: outreach. But uh, uh, I think you get sloppy if you get too much too early. Amazing! That that's such incredible advice. So let me move to the next component uh, of our conversation. You know, uh, you sit on so many boards, and I know, for example, in, in the country that I'm in, in India. The fiduciary responsibility of a non executive director is equal to that of an executive director. My question to you is as a non executive board member, what do you look for before you accept a board position?
0: You know, I like to reframe that question to maybe organizations because mm-hmm. I sit across so many different kinds sure, of sure. groups as a board member. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I look for is look, if if, if you're going to sit or take on a board position for any organization, mm-hmm. uh, you better make sure that you believe in that organization, right? Okay. And so I always, if myself personally, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that that organization aligns with my core values, uh, my core goals in some way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and one of my core values is smart execution for global good. And what I mean by smart is there's you know a specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound on a continuing basis for global good, and there's metrics for that, mm-hmm. and aligns with my core values, mm-hmm. and then that's, then the second item is you know is that organization do they have sort of a basis in trust and integrity, uh, transparency and so on, and then can I make a meaningful contribution? I just don't want to sit on a board just to take up a seat on a board. I want to make sure that um, I can meaningfully contribute to the success Mm -hmm. of that organization Mm -hmm. by injecting uh, maybe a diverse viewpoint or in some way, not just add to the group think. Otherwise, to me personally, it's a waste of time.
1: Wonderful. So Stephen, you you are the founder of AI for good. For all our viewers and listeners, tell us what is AI for good?
0: You know, AI for good is a solution focused movement, summit and programs mm-hmm. where it's looking at the application of AI and their solutions mm-hmm. that always align for the United Nations 17 sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you can look this up on the internet, these mm-hmm. came out in 2015 mm-hmm. and today it's become the most successful summit and movement Mm-hmm. It, uh, in fact, that term AI for good has been adopted by governments around the world, mm-hmm. uh, by corporations, They, for example, they have AI for good programs, uh, by academic institutions like Miele out of Montreal, they have an AI for good program, so academic groups, media and so forth, the UN agencies, so almost all of them have adopted, in fact, mm-hmm. over 38 and, and so on. So you see this broad sort of adoption across the board right. but it's really saying let's look at AI, let's look at the ethical applications of it and make sure it lines for the positive benefit of the planet mm-hmm. by lining with the United Nations 17 sustainable development
1: goals. Okay and how does a common individual get associated with AI for good?
0: You know, AI for good if you can just look it up on the internet, make sure mm-hmm. it's tied to the UN agency ITU because mm-hmm. there's now uh, you can get confused right because it's uh, we put it into the the public domain somewhat so so make sure it's tied to the U- United Nations ITU, uh, the International Telecommunications uh, Union mm-hmm. so just do a search on ITU AI for good mm-hmm. and there's a means where you can join uh, the platform in some way if you're an entrepreneur uh, you there's an open innovation innovation factory mm-hmm. where you can get mentorship and uh, have your startup uh, be judged and so on uh, and get spotlighted uh, you can contribute to focus groups or so focus group is almost like a working group mm-hmm. working on a real solution to the application of AI for example there's one in healthcare, there's one in uh, the use of data, mm-hmm. uh, there's another one, a new one in disaster management, okay. there's another one autonomous vehicles, etc. And you can join, they're open, open platforms where you can contribute your talent and your expertise.
1: Terrific. So, Steve, I'm going to now move to the last segment of our conversation, which is some questions for you personally. You know, first, first for an individual who does so many diverse things associated with so many organizations and From whatever I've know of you, you're constantly giving back. What are some of the core values you believe in?
0: You know, that's a uh, that's a great question. So, core values to me are things like uh, helping others, Mm -hmm. uh, transparency, uh, taking time to understand the other,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, understand other people's points of view, so um, and being very accepting of diversity and integrity. So, these are kind of my core values.
1: Okay, and. as you look back at, a, you know, a life well led, multiple of successes, where you stand today, what does success mean to Stephen? To me personally, helping mm-hmm. others and in some way impacting the world uh, in a positive way. Okay. And uh, a follow up question to that, who or what inspires you? You know, it's interesting.
0: Any, any challenge or opportunity that I see in the world that's diverse mm-hmm. and, and which um, adds to my understanding mm-hmm. and I, I, that's inspiring for me. So um, and, and it, you have to be receptive to that. So <laughs> I'm inspired by every person I meet, mm-hmm. I'm inspired by hearing their narrative and their story and understanding and learning from them, mm-hmm. their their trials and tribulations, their successes and challenges, and how they met them and, and grew from it, and then that makes me grow. And for example, Ashutosh, Ashutosh, we we had a great conversation. I learned a lot from you because oh. you shared so much about your marvelous uh, experiences. So
1: thank you, thank you. My next question to you Stephen is on failure. You know, uh, and I've often said this that from the world, part of the world that I come from. Parents don't teach children it's okay to fail. You know we are constantly being told you've got to come first, be head of the line, etc., etc., and that probably manifests itself in our behavior patterns. And yet we fail, and we learn, and we move on. So my question to you is: What have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes?
0: You know, the interesting thing is, is I, I don't view life as failure or mistakes. Mm-hmm. I always view life as opportunities for growth. So, and 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 what some people would consider maybe a mistake or failure, I okay. feel that's the biggest opportunity for the biggest growth mm. because it's going to stretch you um, as long as you take the time to understand it yeah. and, and uh, drill in and to learn from that experience. So, mm. I really see life as a series of continuing uh, challenges of growth opportunities, okay. and and I'm an optimist as well.
1: So. Okay. Okay. So, I have time for two more questions for you. Um, My next question is that you know, technology, giving back, uh, you know, uh, large social sector projects. How do you want the world to remember you? I want
0: the world to remember me by maybe one word helping. Mm -hmm. I
1: want to be identified as I helped. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Okay, that's a, that's a great way to it. remember. My last question to you is, you know, you're obviously an absolutely incredible multitasker, and I've seen you at work doing incredible stuff. How do you handle so many different roles? You know, I get asked ask
0: that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how is it possible that you know I work on many uh, different problems? Um, well, one thing is, I believe in this idea of grit, you know, Angela Duckworth's sort of definition of grit, and that's sort of like, uh, skill, um, plus uh, hyper effort makes talent, and then talent plus, uh, or I should say talent plus hyper effort makes skill, mm-hmm. skill plus hyper effort makes achievement, but achievement with, with passion and commitment and optimism, and again, work mm-hmm. uh, creates success. So, so passion drives me and then that drives me to put in time and commitment. But there's something else and, and I found it in my family. <laughs> my family has the ability to work endless hours. Okay. And my mother has my, my grandmother has it. Uh, my, my uh, sister has it and so on. So I think it's probably a gene. Uh, okay. and there's a gene called ADRB1 or DEC2 uh-huh. okay. that allows you to work um, pretty well endlessly. So I see a work a week as 168 hours available. Okay. So that's kind of one part. Uh-huh. The other part, the reason it can do a lot is, uh, you know, there's just a law called Metcalf's law, which means the value of something is proportional to the number of connected users. in my case, it's relationships. So in in, in my life, I find that the more I do, in a way, it actually makes things more efficient mm. because I can see commonality. I can see how things relate to each other. And therefore I can see solutions faster and execute wow. faster and opportunities and challenges. So mm-hmm. in a way being busier makes you more efficient.
1: <laughs> right. I, that, that is one thing I fully agree with you. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and such an honor talking to you. I wish you lots of success with everything that you're doing.
0: Asatosh, thank you for inviting me. I, I, I truly enjoy this and, and also all the marvelous work that you're doing. Congratulations on your tremendous tremendous history of success and forgiving and helping others.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in.com